Lucky you, you came to a sermon on work and the topic of work. It's too late to leave now. We're going to lock the doors. Uh, so, but uh, no, it's, it's an interesting thing. You don't typically hear sermons on work, but it is a necessary topic because believe it or not, the Bible portrays work as having this dignity and beauty to it. A lot of people think that, oh, we've got to work today as a result of the fall. It's because we live in a a sinful world. And that's not the case at all, actually. The Bible says that before the fall ever happened, if you read Genesis chapter 2, the Bible says that God put Adam in the garden to work it and keep it. It means that work was part of his original design for humanity. There's an inerrant goodness and dignity to it. But unfortunately, we're living in a world where laziness is characterizing more and more of the coming generations, right? People just don't want to work today. And it's not just that people have a bad attitude towards work. It's not even just that people don't really want to work. It's not even just the fact that people today are overly saturated with entertainment and are entertaining themselves to death. It's more than that. It's the fact that no one in this room knows how long God has given us on this earth. And we are wasting the short time that he has given us. We are failing to seize the time that he's given us to make the most of it, to redeem it for his purposes. And so when that happens, you end up geared towards, leaning towards laziness. I've seen a lot of posts recently from the younger generations that are coming up and they're complaining about the fact that they're realizing now, after they move, graduate high school, move out from mommy and daddy's house, they're realizing they're going to have to work a nine to five for the rest of their lives. And they don't want to do that. They say, that's not fair. I don't want to do that. I don't want to have to punch a time card for the rest of my life. I don't have to work you know, 40 hours a week for the rest of my life. They want everything handed to them. And it's because they feel like they're entitled to it. You see, entitlement undermines the discipline of hard work, right? We get that? In other words, if you feel like you're entitled to everything, then you're not going to work for anything. And a sad truth, but a, 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 you know, a biblical truth this morning, maybe you need to hear it, maybe I need to remind you, it's that God doesn't owe anyone anything. God does not owe you breath in your lungs today. God does not owe you a well-paying job, a nice car, a big house. He doesn't owe you health. He doesn't owe you any material goods, food, or water. This one's going to be hard to hear. God doesn't even owe you salvation. God is indebted to no man. He owes no one anything. And if God doesn't owe us anything, it means, listen to me, church, we are not entitled to anything. Which means that we're called to work. We can't afford to be stagnant because the Lord has called us to labor and in our labor bring Him glory in the way that we are laboring for Him to be productive. And so so here's the point of this passage. I just want you to understand this. Our labor in the Lord brings glory to God, but laziness is an act of rebellion against God. Now maybe you've never thought about laziness in that way before. Maybe you're like, well, I know laziness is bad, but I didn't know it was that bad. An act of rebellion against God, but it is. We'll flesh that out some later. Our labor in the Lord, it brings glory to God. Laziness is an act of rebellion against God. And so here's the question I want us to consider this morning. 
How can we glorify God in our labor and avoid laziness? That's very simple, right? We all agree? Very simple. How can we glorify God in our labor? How can we avoid laziness? And what I'm going to do, kind of different for me, I'm just going to get very pointed and practical this morning, and I'm going to give us three principles that I think are going to help us to begin to glorify God more in our labor and avoid laziness, to, to press into to the labor and move away from the laziness. And here's the first principle for you. You can write it down. God's kingdom advances through laborers, not leeches. God's kingdom advances through laborers, not leeches. If you think that's the most pointed thing I'm going to say today, boy, you're in for it. Listen to what the Bible says, verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard. That's not Alex. That's God. You see that, right? That's not me saying you're a sluggard, a lazy bones. That's God saying, go to the ant, you lazy bones, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in for harvest. Now, I'm sure you've noticed this about ants, but they're hard workers, are they not? Ants are always working. They're always on the move. They're always doing something. They're not just busy. They're productive. They're working towards something, a common goal. They're going to collect resources. They're going to collect food. They're building up houses and everything. Ants are made to work. You never see an ant just kind of moseying around, right? You ever seen an ant just standing still or moseying around? You're like, what's this guy doing? You know, (laughs) no, they're always working. It's funny, uh, over summer, I remember I was at the garden, and I was watering the garden, and Judah was with me, and we saw this giant anthill, and I knew I was going to end up stepping in that thing, or he was going to end up stepping in it, and we we're going to have a world of trouble. So I handed him the hose like any good dad would do, and I said, have at it, you know? I don't have to worry about stepping in ants. He gets to have a little fun with a hose. So he destroys this thing in a matter of just a minute or so. He's happy. I'm happy. We go about our day. Well, I go outside the next morning thinking I don't have to worry about an anthill anymore. Go to water my garden. And what you know, those little boogers had already rebuilt the entire anthill overnight. We were there sleeping and slumbering and resting, and they were hard at work rebuilding their hill. Now, here's my question. Why do ants do that? Why are they such hardworking, productive creatures? It's because that's who God made them to be, right? Yeah, that's why the Bible is saying here, hey, look to the ants. Look how I've created them to be. Look who they are. And here's the thing I want you to understand. It might surprise you, but that's who God created us to be as well. God created us, His people, those made in His image, to be hardworking producers, to be laborers, not leeches. You see, being a leech, being lazy, it's rebellion Against God, because in the beginning, God created us to imitate Him, to image Him. We know that He's a hardworking God, but we also know, as we said before, that God put man in the garden and said, before the fall, work it, keep it. This is who you were designed to be. But when we are lazy, we're saying, we know better than God. We prefer our ways rather than God's ways. So we're actually rebelling against God. And here's where it gets even more pointed, okay? Laziness is not just an act of rebellion against God. It's actually antithetical to the gospel. Now again, you might be sitting there thinking, 
First of all, never heard that laziness is an act of rebellion. But secondly, pastor, how in the world does laziness have anything to do with the gospel? Well, it does so like this. It's because laziness is self-centered, is it not? Laziness is all about me and what I want. When I'm being lazy, I'm thinking only about what's making me happy. What's going to bring me comfort? What are my desires? It's all me, 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 me. But the Bible says this of Christians in Philippians 2, 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So the Bible says for Christians, you're not supposed to just be focusing on you and what you want and what's going to bring you comfort. You're supposed to be looking at others. Seeking to help them. See, here's what happened. In the beginning, before the fall, our eyes were focused on God and His purposes for the world. We had our eyes on God and His purposes for this created order. But then when sin entered the world, it corrupted and contaminated everything. It distorted everything. And so what happened is when sin entered the world, our eyes were taken away from God, away from others. And where did they start looking? Here, at us, at ourselves. And we started only paying attention to ourselves and our own wants and desires and needs. But here's the good news. This is where the gospel comes in. When Jesus enters our lives and he calls us to salvation, he makes us a new creation. Here's what he does. One of the first things Jesus does is he takes your eyes off of you and he puts them back on God. He says, this life is not about you. It's not primarily about what you want. It's not primarily about what you want to do and your desires. Your life is meant to glorify God in all you do. So Jesus averts our eyes. He puts them back on God and back towards others so that we can actually begin to focus on God and others, which is crazy how the Bible coincides like this because isn't that exactly how Jesus summarized the law? Do you remember what happened when a a, a person came to him and said, hey, what's the most important commandment? What did Jesus say? He said, Matthew 22, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Where are your eyes there, church? God, others, not you. The Bible says in Philippians 2, 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. In other words, the repeated message of the Bible is, stop focusing on you. It's not about you. But when you're being lazy, when you're being a leech, your whole world's about you. Everything's about you. A leech asks, what's going to benefit me the most? What's going to make me the happiest? What's going to bring me the most comfort and pleasure? But laborers for the Lord ask, how can I bring glory to God in all that I do today? How can I labor to make Him known and loved? How can I make the most of the time that God has given me today? What can I do to bless others in our world today? How can I demonstrate the love of Christ to those around me today? This is the transformative power of the gospel. Jesus transforms us from parasites to producers, from leeches to laborers. He turns our eyes away from ourselves and he puts them back on God and others. So his kingdom advances through laborers, not leeches. Now I'm going to say something that's going to get me some email. 
But it's okay. I'm used to it at this point. This applies to the church. That's not the part that's going to get me emails. Here it is. You would be hard-pressed to find a better opportunity to be a leech today than in the church. Amen? There we go. See, you agree with me. I'll still get an email or two, but it's okay. I'm all right with it because it's true. You'd be hard-pressed to find a better opportunity to be a leech today than in the church. Why is that? Well, it's because we live in a consumeristic world, do we not? And what happens is we live in this consumeristic world, and then we bring that into the church. And so we come into this place, and what do we have? We have a consumer mindset. And so what we do is we show up, and we just consume. We take in. We're like a leech. We're just sucking the life out of everything. We're there consuming, 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 but we're never contributing to anything. We're just there sitting and taking in, and that's nothing more than being a leech. I love my father-in-law. He's not a leech. I know that seemed like a weird transition. It's not. He's, I love him. Okay. No, this is good. This is about him. It's good. I said he's not a leech. All right, this is good. Here's what I love about my father-in-law. It's that he prays for the church every day. And he has always prayed for God to send us more people to our church. But here's the kicker. Here's what really gets me. He has never once prayed for God to send us more people so that we can simply grow and be big. That's not the point. He has never once prayed for God to just make this church as big as Rock Springs or some other churches. That's not the point. We don't care about that. Every single time I've ever heard him pray for the church, he says, God, send us workers. I've never forgotten that. Send us workers. Because that's what we need, is it not? We don't need people who are just going to come here and fill the pews and sit here. We need people who are going to come and commit and serve. Right? I would rather have a church of 30 people who are sold out for Jesus, who are giving their all to Jesus, serving Him in everything that they can do, than a church of 3,000 people who all they do is show up on a Sunday morning and that's it. Give me the 30. A church cannot and will not grow and be spiritually healthy if all the majority of its people ever do is show up on a Sunday morning to consume. And I get it. Listen, I know the common excuse here, but I'm tired. I do like that me time. I'm tired. I'm worn out. And listen, I get it. You're preaching to the choir here. I mean, I'm telling you, I get it. I'm pretty much run on empty, okay? Like, My entire existence is spent pouring into other people. I give and give and give until I'm just running on empty pretty much 24-7. So I get that you're tired, you're worn out, you feel like you can't commit to anything else. But here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. I want you to listen to me, okay? Being tired is good. Okay? It's good to be tired. It's good to be worn out. We're not supposed to just coast our way to heaven. Do you get that, right? We're not supposed to just come to the faith and then sit on our hands waiting for either Jesus to return or for Him to call us home. That's not the point. We're not meant to coast our way to heaven. We're supposed to get involved and get busy. And that means sometimes you're going to run on empty. Do you remember how Paul described his life? When he was writing to the church, he said, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. That is you, Christian. 
You're supposed to be constantly poured out for the sake of other people. The cup runs over, yeah, your cup of grace runs over. Your cup of energy and labor, pour it out for the sake of others. That's why Paul, when he was writing to the Philippians in chapter 1, you remember that famous passage where he said, listen, I'm struggling, I'm in prison, I want to die and be with Christ because that's far better. Everybody remember that? Do you remember what he said afterward, though? He said, but I know that I'm going to remain with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Are you tired, Christian? That's good. Keep pressing on. Keep working. Keep laboring. Why? Because you are here for the progress and joy of others, not yourself. The reason I'm content to run on empty, even though there have been plenty of times where I've thought about just throwing in the towel and walking away from it at all and saying, I can't do this anymore. I have nothing left to give. It's because I am here, church, for you. I'm here for your progress and joy in the faith, even if that means I've got to be tired. And I need you here for me for my progress in joining the faith. This is why gospel groups is so important. It's not just something we're pressing to say, hey, come and join us here. We do life together. We help each other. We are here for the progress and joy of others. It is good to be spent for the Lord. Can we agree on that? George Whitfield said, I would rather wear out than rust out. That's what God's called us to do. His kingdom advances through laborers, not leeches. I've, I've got to move on. I have more to say, but you know, we could do a whole sermon series on work. But let's, let's just keep going on with our passage here. Listen, since we're talking a lot about work this morning, I want to say this very clearly. Rest is a good thing. Okay? I've said it. I don't have time to elaborate. There is a whole sermon there. We can't get to it today. Rest is a good thing. It's a necessary thing. But you and I both know that we can make an idol out of rest, can't we? We can abuse it. We can make it an idol. Rest is good, but only in moderation. That's why verses 10 through 11 say this. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and won't like an armed man. Yeah, a little rest is good, but here's what we do. We just say, okay, I'm just going to watch one more episode, (laughs) right? I'm just going to scroll for five more minutes. I'm just going to nap for... Until I wake up. Yeah. <laughs> we have these excuses and we just keep piling on these excuses over and over and over again to the point where it accumulates and it ends in our ruin. A little rest, a little slumber, and we're just going to keep wanting more and more and more. And so this is what I want you to understand. Second principle to help us this morning. God's people resemble the ants, not the sloths. His kingdom advances through laborers, not leeches, and God's people resemble the ants, not the sloths. In other words, this is what I want you to understand. God did not redeem his people so that they can look and act just like the rest of the world. We're called to be different. When a professing Christian works just like the rest of the world, he shows that Christians are no different than the rest of the world. When a professing Christian spends his time Just like the rest of the world, he shows that Christians are no different than the rest of the world. 
When unbelievers see that Christians waste countless hours playing video games and binge-watching TV and movies, when they see that Christians spend just as much time on social media as they do, when they see laziness and excuses and poor craftsmanship, they say the Christians are no different than us. They're just like us. And that's a travesty, is it not? In a world of sloths, God's people are called to be ants. We're called to work for the glory of God. I mean, it should be absolutely impossible to outwork a Christian. You understand that, right? It should be impossible to outwork a Christian. It should be impossible to produce better craftsmanship than Christians. It should be impossible to have a better attitude towards work than Christians. It should be impossible to make better use of time than Christians. Why? Because we are called to do everything we do to the glory of God. How dare you abuse your time? How dare you do poor work when what you're doing is meant to be a reflection of the God you serve? Why should we excel in these areas? It's because Christ has redeemed us. He has restored the image of God in us. We are called to imitate God in the world and our God is a working God. And so as His children, we have to be working as well. Jesus said that exact same thing, by the way. That's just a paraphrase. In, in John 5, 17, the Pharisees, of course, were asking Jesus why he was doing good things and healing people. And Jesus said, my father is working until now, and I'm working. Listen, if you want to be in here this morning, if you want to call yourself a child of God, your father's a worker. Which means if you're going to imitate him, you have to be a worker as well. Work with everything you have. Labor in the Lord and bring glory to God in all that you do. And here's the good news for you. Okay, you listening? You can start this today. You don't have to make a major life change to do any of this. You can do this right where you're at today. Because see, there's this common idea in the world today that what Jordan and I do, that's sacred work. But what everyone else does, that's secular work. And I want you to hear your pastor say this. That's nonsense. You're not going to find that anywhere in the Bible. There's no such thing as sacred work and secular work. The Bible says that all work matters to God. Which means what you do with your job that you may or may not like, that you think doesn't matter, how could this be of any importance? What you do matters to God. It's significant to him. I mean, I hope that you understand this, that, that the Bible teaches that all of our, our vocations can be redeemed to bring glory to God. And you can do it in whatever job you're in right now because I want you to recall that when Jesus came to earth, he did not pursue a job in the temple. He picked up a hammer. He was a carpenter. Showing that God values all of our work. John Newton said this, is one of my favorite quotes by him. He said, If two angels were to receive at the same moment a commission from God, one to go down and rule earth's grandest empire, and the other to go and sweep the streets of its meanest, meanest village, it would be a matter of entire indifference to each which service fell his lot, the post of ruler or the post of scavenger, for the joy of the angels lies only in obedience to God's will. They didn't care which one fell to their lot as long as they got to serve the Lord. 
And in the same way, it is the joy of Christians to obey God and bring Him glory no matter our vocation. Martin Luther used to say that God milked the cows through the hands of the milkmaids. And listen, church, when you begin to view work in this way, it's truly transformative. I mean, I had to go through this process when I was still working at Lowe's, and I was down in the dumps, and I was, woe is me, because I was like, I know God's called me to preach and be a pastor, but here I am wasting my life at Lowe's, and thank the Lord I've got a wise wife who said, God cares about what you're doing now. You can have an impact on the kingdom now. And when I began to believe that what I did actually mattered to God, you'd be amazed how God blessed that. I began to have the best conversations I've ever had in my life. Meaningful, life-altering conversations because I saw that where God had placed me, He was still there and could do good things. So you understand, you can make a difference in your workplace, right? You get that. When you begin to realize this, you begin to realize that God is using His people and their vocations to bless the world. God gives light to the world through the hands of the electricians. God feeds the world through the work of the farmers. God brings order to the world through the governing bodies. God advances the world through the minds of engineers and inventors. So whether you work in a bank or in a car dealership, whether you teach in a school or stay at home with your children, whether you cut hair or work in a trade job, whether you work in a hospital or drive a forklift, your work matters to God. So whatever you do, do everything for the glory of God because as you work for His glory, you're putting the kingdom of God on display for the world to see. You're showing others what our God is like and making a difference in this world. And I want to just say this word real quick. Because I know a lot of you in here are retired and you're going, yeah, lay it on them. Lay it on them, lazy bones. Y'all listen to this because we don't have to work anymore. My retired saints, you know I love you. I love you dearly. This goes for you too. Your golden years are golden opportunities to serve the Lord. You have more time right now to be involved in the kingdom of God than almost anyone in here this morning. You have more opportunities to be involved in missions and evangelism than almost anyone in here this morning. God has given you a great opportunity to serve Him right now and to labor in His kingdom. Don't waste that. Can can you just listen to me this morning? Do not waste your retirement. Do not fall victim to the American ideal of retirement that says, hey, just sit around and wait to die. That's literally, they won't word it like that in the commercials. That's what they want you to do. Just sit around and fry your brain with media and entertainment until you die. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your retirement. Take it, redeem it for the Lord and make it matter. Go to heaven worn out and tired and earn your rest. So what can you do, church? Build something. Doesn't matter what it is. Go see Ray Biko. He'll just help you build a coffee table, okay? (laughs) Build something. Plant something. Create something. Design something. Cultivate something. Start a business. It does not matter because as you do these things, you are fulfilling God's design for humanity. You are putting His kingdom on display. You are imitating Him in this world and you are bringing Him glory. This is what we were created to do. We're meant to be like the ants, not like the sloths. 
There's one final principle I want to give you this morning, and then we'll close. Here it is. Holiness doesn't just happen. Holiness doesn't just happen. So in other words, there's a spiritual dimension to these verses, right? They're primarily talking about how God has made us to be hardworking, productive people in this world. But you have to understand there's a spiritual element to this as well. We are called to labor spiritually in order to grow in holiness and Christ-likeness. So uh, years ago, when my brother-in-law Bill was living with me and Anna while he was building his house, he decided he was going to plant a garden right next to mine. No problem. But Bill also decided that year that he was not going to water his garden. He was going to rely on the rain. This is one of Bill's many great ideas that he has. So he wasn't going to water his garden. And since the majority of his time was spent building his house, which took up pretty much all of his time, he was not going to weed his garden either. He basically just planted it and walked away. And so the time came for our gardens to bear. Now, keep in mind, this was before we had children. So my garden did not have a single weed in it. I mean, my, you used to be able to eat off the floor of my garden. Not anymore, okay? <laughs> not since we had kids. I'm, I'm very thankful if we get a, a piece of okra. So. <laughs> but it used to be spotless. And so the, the, it came time for the gardens to bear. And mine produced abundantly. And Bill's did not, as you can imagine, <laughs> Um, it, it hardly produced anything. And he was frustrated, but I was, I was like, Bill, you, you can't expect an unattended garden to bear fruit. That's not how they work. Right? So here, here's what I want you to understand. I want you to think about that story, but think of it as the story of two Christians. All right? So, so one Christian is an example of someone who takes holiness seriously. And he labors in the Lord to to progress and grow in the faith. He's disciplined in his Bible reading and prayer and scripture memory and participation in the church and evangelism, missions, and seeking wisdom. His whole life is devoted to growing in Christ and he puts in the work necessary for that to happen. He attends diligently to his spiritual life and so what happens? He bears abundant fruit. When people look at this person, they say, there's a person who walks with God. That's one Christian. But then there's this other Christian. And he's a person who basically comes to the Lord and throws in the towel. He says, that's it. I've been saved. I need to do nothing else. And so he never reads his Bible. He rarely attends church. He only comes when there's nothing else going on. He never prays, never memorizes Scripture. He's never, he never has any moments of serious self-reflection or conviction. He never shares the gospel, never participates in missions or church activity. And then he looks at other Christians and he goes, why am I not more like them? I've been a Christian for longer than they have. Why am I not further along? Why am I not as wise? Why am I not as holy? Why am I not bearing as much fruit? Well... Listen to me. In the same way that you can't expect an unattended garden to bear fruit, you can't expect an unattended spiritual life to bear fruit either. Do we get that? I think there's this common misconception in our world today that we can just pray a prayer, ask Jesus into our hearts, and then we don't have to do anything else. We just sit back and wait on heaven. 
That's not in the Bible. I mean, should, shouldn't that concern us? That the majority of the American church is sitting on their hands, doing nothing, just waiting on Jesus to come or to be called up to heaven? And the Bible says you're called to labor in the Lord, to grow in Christ's likeness. I mean, the Bible literally says in Hebrews 12, 14, strive for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Do you know what that verse means? It means without holiness, you're, you're not going to see the Lord. The word strive is the same word. It means labor. Labor. Strive. Press on. For the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, Here's what I want to say. That sounds like a hard calling, does it not? You're called to be holy as God is holy. Do you feel how weighty that is? Yes? Here's the good news, Christians. We don't do it alone. That would be legalism, and that's unbiblical. We don't do it alone. Yes, you are called to strive. You're called to labor. You're called to be devoted and dedicated and disciplined. But you're also called to remember that God has given us His Holy Spirit who indwells each and every believer, who guides us, who convicts us, who conforms us more and more into the image of Christ. We're like that piece of marble and He's just chiseling away all the sin until finally Christ is revealed in us. That's why the Bible says in Philippians 2.13, For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Are you called to work? Yes, absolutely. But please understand, it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So I want you to notice this life our God calls us to, Christians. Notice the vision for our world that He has, and we, His people, are a central element of that plan. He's called us to be laborers, not leeches. He's called us to be like the ants, not like the sloths. He's called us to be a people who put the kingdom of God on display for a lost and fallen world to see. We're called to imitate Him and show people what He's like. We're called to bring Him glory in our labor and bless the world in our labor. And it all starts with the work of Christ. None of this is possible apart from the work of Christ who comes and redeems us. But you know what else He does? He restores. That's part of Christ's mission. is total restoration. Restoration of humanity. Restoration of the created order. He restores the image of God in us so that we can be more like Him and show Him to our world. By being transformed by Christ, our eyes are removed from ourselves. They're placed back on God, back on others, and His purposes for the world. And so we cannot afford to be stagnant, church. We can't afford to sit on our hands and do nothing in a world like this. Laziness is rebellion. So let's get to work for the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. God, we pray you make this true in our lives right now.